Hi, I'm Samuel. And I'm Bentley. And this is the Review Podcast. Podcast. So, we had a discussion recently about taking stock of where superhero films are now. We have gone through uh, just over 10 years now of Marvel films. Uh, obviously, before that, DC is putting out movies. And they've gone from just kind of sporadic installments that would crop up as part of a larger summer fair every year to being multiple tentpole films every year. I mean, as early as February now, you're getting these major blockbuster films. And so we kind of decided to retrace our steps a little bit and go back to a film that I always remembered very fondly as being a a really high point of this genre before Marvel Studios, and that was Spider-Man 2, directed by Sam Raimi and starring Tobey Maguire, Alfred Molina, and Kirsten Dunst. And it really is a different era. I like what you just said about how the movies are coming so quickly now, uh, especially in the Marvel Universe. It's funny how they've made the movies almost feel like the comic book art form, right? I mean, comic books at their heart are basically periodicals, right? That's the National Periodical Company is what turns into DC. And they're really magazines, right? They come out once a month. And so it's a regular kind of serialized storytelling. And that's what Marvel Studios has been able to do with all of these movies that they crank out like three a year, right? So the story just keeps rolling forward, which is amazing to me that they've got the money and the audience to do that. And you're right, before we get Iron Man in 2008, it's just sort of every once in a while you might get a superhero movie and they would largely stand on their own. But so Spider-Man 2 comes on the heels of a very... Very successful Spider-Man uh, 1, and the initial installment makes, uh, I think, $195 million on its opening weekend, which is such a cute little number now. It's so cute. <laughs> oh, look at the little profit they turned. But it was a really big deal, because before that, you know, in the, in the 70s and the 80s and even into the 90s, I mean, Stan Lee, the creative heart and soul of Marvel, was just so desperate to get Marvel movies uh, to be successful like the DC movies. Yeah. And they were terrible. They were like grade B or C movies. Just awful. The Roger Corman Fantastic Four movie springs to mind. Just absolutely awful. And, and you know, Spider-Man is the Marvel major character, right? I mean, he's, he's not uh, thematically like Superman, but, you know, he's the guy who really launched the company as we know it today. And the fact that you had to wait until 2002... To get a Spider-Man movie out of Hollywood is pretty incredible. And when it hits, finally, all of those fans of the comic book character rush to the movie. And I remember it as being good. I remember the first two Spider-Mans being really good. But I hadn't watched them in a long time. So we had a choice before us. We could either revisit the first one, which does have Willem Dafoe as the Green Goblin. And we my love, love Willem. My love for Willem is well documented. Um, but... It also I, has the Weird Al song. Right? Yes. I mean, yeah. Yeah. But um, I wanted to revisit Spider-Man 2 because I remember really thinking that was like a like a 10 out of 10 movie as a kid. I was like, that was amazing. There's never going to be a better comic book movie than that. Like, you know, that was what the height of the art form was at the time. Right. And know? sequels at that point, uh, to do a good superhero sequel was uh, hard, right? Yeah. It, it was not a guaranteed thing. It wasn't like the second 
Guardians of the Galaxy or the second Avengers, the way uh, people have received those now. It was really kind of an iffy thing to do a really good second movie of a character. Yep. But Spider-Man 2 opens with... Uh, the, I mean, we could just go through it sequentially because, honestly, it's such a structurally weird film in a lot of ways because it starts with a, basically a pseudo-action scene of Peter Parker having to deliver pizzas and he's swinging through the city of Spider-Man to get there on time, but it's not really an action scene. And then once that ends, Spider-Man's not really on camera for like another 40 minutes. It's, it's all Peter Parker melodrama. And that's when like reality starts to hit me. The nostalgia falls away and you start to remember, <laughs> oh my God, this is the Peter Parker misery movie. It's like, an episode of Dawson's Creek. Yeah, my dad kept saying Oh, that. my God. Like, the world is just continually just eating up Peter Parker and spitting him out. And it actually gets really monotonous and really, like, boring to watch because he just takes hit after hit. Like, he falls down and people are hitting him with his their backpacks as they walk by. And he he sits alone in this room, and the room is next to the train tracks, and like it. it it's I was relentless. counting. I was counting. You get three separate scenes in Spider-Man Two of him just sitting in his crappy little New York apartment on his bed, just looking morose. Three times we're seeing. Three times, Tobey Maguire has to just stare out of his window and be like. Can't I be Spider-Man and be happy? And I'm like, God, clearly I can't go to a Spider-Man movie and be happy. Like, <laughs> So now, to be fair, that is the character, right? If you grew up reading him, uh, certainly in the 60s and 70s, that was who Peter Parker was, right? That was the whole Stanley idea was that we're going to make an anti-hero, right? He's not going to be... Uh, Bruce Wayne. He's not going to be some rich uh, guy who can afford all the cool toys. He's a kid and then a college student and his life is crappy. So that is accurate, but you had nailed it very well last night that the Tobey Maguire Spider-Mans really get that right. They get the civilian part of the story right. And they don't get the swinging, wisecracking, joking superhero part. They they completely miss on that. Yeah. Like, I would have liked that opening pizza sequence if he had been wisecracking his way through it. But I'm not even sure Spider-Man says anything when he's delivering the pizzas. Yeah. No, he he's, he's a very quiet Spider-Man. It's upsetting because the way it breaks down, and I've talked with my friends about this, it seems to be that... The, the general consensus is Tobey Maguire was a pretty good Peter Parker. He's not a very good Spider-Man, but he's an excellent Peter Parker because he is pretty mopey and pretty morose and pretty average. And then Andrew Garfield was a pretty good Spider-Man because he's wisecracking. He never shuts up. In, mm. in The Amazing Spider-Man, I don't know if you've seen any of The Amazing Spider-Man's dad, mm-hmm. he will not shut up. <laughs> Even when he's fighting somebody who can't understand his jokes. Like at one point he's fighting... Kurt Connors, the lizard, and he won't shut up. Yeah. And, well, and that's lizard, true to the character. Yeah, and the lizard is just going, ah, like the lizard doesn't understand English, and he's just like, whoa, breath, breath, watch the breath. Like, you know, like the whole time he won't shut up. But Andrew Garfield's not a good Peter Parker because Andrew Garfield looks like he belongs in one direction. He's <laughs> he's cute, he's funny, he likes skateboards in the movie. It's like, no, there's no loser who's skateboarding. Like, Peter Parker's not a loser because he's on a skateboard. Like, yeah. Peter Parker's a loser in Spider-Man 2 because he drives this stupid little moped thing ever because he doesn't have, like, a driver's license. 
And then the general consensus is that Tom Holland, the latest Spider-Man, who's actually like 13 or 14, yeah. is a really great Spider-Man and Peter Parker because he has that youth. He has They have casted someone as young as the character. And I think that's a big deal as well because I couldn't get out of my head as I was watching Tobey Maguire in this movie. I'm like, that's a 30-year-old man. Like, it's, yeah, which he does not look like a college student. Right. And so that's why I actually was interested in going back and reviewing uh, a piece of that first Spider-Man trilogy uh, because I did remember it as being a well-told story, but that's been the pop culture view of it. As we get farther and farther away from that trilogy, you know, we're now 15, 16 years away from it. It seems like people just completely dismiss it because he was too old. Right. Now, I think Toby is a pretty good actor. And so I was interested in watching it again because this this knock, this shorthand, this this kind of Twitter view of him, like, oh, those movies were terrible because he was so clearly a see biscuit lol. Yes, because he was a thirty year old guy being shoehorned into this suit in this story, and I didn't remember it being that big of a problem. But watching it again last night, yeah, I think yeah, this is a place like, where the Twitterverse is probably right. Yeah, he just—he's too old. He's too old, and and it's it's. I think he turns in as good a performance as as he could. Yeah. But I also think he's not handed much to do by the script. It's really mopey and feeling sorry for myself and imaginary talks with Uncle Ben, which is really weird. Yeah. He has like an out of body experience. He like goes to Shambhala and like talks with Uncle Ben in the in the front seat of a Cadillac. Shambhala (laughs) is the front seat of a Cadillac boys. Unbelievable. And and then they do that little stupid sequence where allegedly, you know, because he's given up Spider Man now he's happy. Except that the vernacular keep falling on my head. They're doing boomer vernacular. Right? So turning red, sleeping on the job. Exactly, right? So so there's Sam Raimi, who's a boomer. You know, he's hearkening back. He thinks that's funny. That little music montage is funny because that's his vernacular. Some honest teenager in 2003 or 4 would not be having that song in his head as he's having a happy day. He'd have, you know, a Green Day song. He'd be listening to like Blink-182 or something. Blink-182. So there's a lot of things that don't fit. Yeah. You know, Toby's too old. It's being directed by a boomer who's got his own view of the Spider-Man character that doesn't fit with the 21st century. It's off, man. It's, It's way off. But to be fair, let's talk about what does work, and that's named Alfred Molina. Because Alfred Molina, as Dr. Octopus in this movie, is basically perfect. And I, I still cannot believe how well he pulls that off and how much he does with the screen time he's given. He's given like one or two scenes before his transformation yeah. into Doc Ock, and it's totally effective. He completely nails it. You have sympathy for the guy. That's my favorite part of the Dawson's Creek stuff, right? Yeah. They, they legitimately have... It's a logical setup where Peter gets to meet him, you know, in civilian guise. And, you know, they end up having dinner together. And the two scientists talking and, you know, Ock's uh, wife. wife is there. Rosie. And it just looks completely normal, but it's warm. It's human. It's the most authentic scene in the first hour of the movie. And I can turn this negative. God. That after, So I like his transformation into something evil. That makes sense to me. But you would think, because they had had that bonding as scientists at the beginning of the movie, that later in the movie, 
you know, Peter slash Spider-Man would be trying to talk Doc Ock out of this more than he does. There's like one or two lines where he, he sort of tries to appeal to him. He's like, you don't want to do this. But but it's just a line. I, I would have enjoyed a, a, a fuller scene where he tries to reach, you know, Doc Ock scientist to scientist. Because this really is, I guess the first one really kind of played up um osborne's you know life as a scientist yeah you don't really want to retread the steps of the first one because the first one also has a lot of surrogate father figure stuff and i think this is Mm, i suppose but you know what peter parker that's what makes him different in the superhero uh, genre is that he's a science guy yeah right and uh and molina does a fantastic job uh from start to finish in this movie but i just felt like there was more that they could have done with their connection once they had made it. Yeah, I think it's a missed opportunity, but I I think it doesn't... Again, I don't think it takes away from what we do get on the screen. I think... Well, the we, problem is they, they we don't get more of uh, Ock and Parker because they spend so much time on Peter and Mary Jane. And oh, my God. It's terrible. It's Look, from so all bad. accounts, from everything we know... Kirsten Dunst is a perfectly wonderful human being. She sounds like a nice lady. She sounds like a good friend to a lot of the stars in Hollywood. She sounds like a fun-loving young woman. She is not a good actress. I'm sorry. No, she's, she's a not. terrible Mary Jane. She's a terrible Mary Jane. So, once again, getting into the reshuffling of the Spider-Man movies, again, the ideal Spider-Man movie doesn't have her as Mary Jane. It has her as Gwen Stacy, if you have to cast her. Yes, because she's a much better Gwen Stacy. She's perfect as Gwen Stacy. And then in the Amazing Spider-Man movies, they have Emma Stone playing Gwen Stacy, but she would have been a much better Mary Jane. Yeah, it's her hair, color hair anyway. Yeah, and the whole point of Mary Jane is she's supposed to be funny and you know miss good times and, and, and wise cracking. Absolutely, doesn't she's, she work in the seventies comics at like a go-go dancer bar yes. or something? Like Mary Jane is a character popped up in the seventies because she was kind of that voice, right? Yeah. The, the she spy- was the new woman. She was the new woman, she was liberated, she was funny, she was an equal, but she was okay with being sexy, right? She wasn't a good girl. She, she wasn't was some, Gwen Stacy. She wasn't Gwen Stacy. She was happy to go out and have a good time and, and you know, be very, very playful. She was not the good girl next door. That's Gwen Stacy and that's Kirsten Dunst. Yes. They even literally make her the girl next door and that's not right. It's not right. But, <laughs> and, and there's like all this, do, do, do you love me? And it's like... Oh my god, it's so... And it has that stupid tropey ending of the woman realizing, oh, I really loved him this whole time, which always sucks. Like, I don't, I'm, never, I'm never happy with that ending where it's like, oh, this person put a lot of time and investment to me and, and wanted to, had, like, proposed to me and I said yes, but now I realize I love this other person, like... Toby doesn't do anything. The, Peter Parker does nothing for her. He shows up to a play. yeah they make that such a big deal but there are there's no obvious attraction between the two characters no there's no spark there's no i have no no interesting genuine human interaction occurs between the two of them so Uh, there's more chemistry between him and and um god uh campbell campbell who plays the 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 doorman oh bruce campbell bruce campbell which is a great cameo (laughs) great cameo from the star of sam raimi's evil dead speaking of evil dead um, I'll tell you a scene that holds up really well in, in the worst way, because it's scary as hell, is when the tentacles on Doc Ock's back while he's unconscious at the hospital just 
massacre the doctors who are trying yeah. to get the, it, the arms off of him. It feels like a scene out of Aliens. It's, it's really so scary. intense. Yeah. Like, it's so intense. And they, they're just abducting people and throwing them off the room and, like, pounding them into walls and chopping them up and yeah. stabbing them. And yeah. you're just like... Oh my god, what? Ah. Which doesn't fit the Dawson's Creek stuff. No, <laughs> and this is like one scene after like he's having a talk with yeah. like Aunt May about, yeah. oh, we're going to go to the bank. We're going to get the home refinance. Oh, yeah. by the way, Joel McHale is in this movie as a, as a na- nasty, uh, smarmy <laughs> banker, which is great. <laughs> which there's, is pretty funny. There's so many roles in this, uh, so many people in this who go on to do bigger things. Elizabeth Banks. As uh, Betty Brant. Yes. For, uh, we're not going to get through this podcast without a J.K. Simmons invitation. Parker! Parker! <laughs> no, if we're going to talk about how great Molina is in this movie, we have to talk about Simmons. Uh, okay, we're already back on this topic. But he's great. He's perfect. <laughs> we, we desperately Ms. wish... Brandt, give this man $100 and throw in a bar of soap. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, that's now the end of the podcast because I just want you to do those lines. So the food got poisoned? I'm a little nauseous, yeah? Get out! <laughs> what are we going to call this guy? Uh, Doctor Strange. That's good, but it's taken! <laughs> like, it's, uh, like, he just, he's so perfect for the role. And, and he is such a bright spot whenever he shows up. He's the only part of the Peter Parker melodrama that I like because he doesn't care about Peter's drama. He's a part of Peter's drama, but he yeah. doesn't care. Oscar winner, J.K. Simmons. You had a great idea that they should bring him back in the new version of Spider-Man. So my thesis has always been, and I don't know if we've already said this on the podcast. <laughs> Who cares? Let's say it again. Okay, my thesis has always been, you want to reboot Spider-Man? Fine. You want to do th- two, three Spider-Man movies in, in 15 years or whatever? Fine. I think you're crazy, but fine. All you should do is what, the, like back in uh, the Tim Burton Batman movies. They shuffled yeah. the whole creative cast around. They yeah. basically did a reboot of it twice. Yeah. But Alfred was always the same actor. Yes, across four different Batman movies, Alfred was the same. I think they should have done that with J. Jonah Jameson. Just yeah. had J.K. Yeah. Simmons. Just He's just always going to be J. Jonah Jameson. <laughs> he's so, always sitting in that in office. Amazing Spider-Man. Yeah. like if Because if, like, they never showed. He was so good in that role that Amazing Spider-Man, both Amazing Spider-Man movies, have no J. Jonah Jameson. Yeah. Which which is a nice like hat tip, but I would have much rather preferred no, just cast him again. Have <laughs> Peter go to the Daily Bugle's office and be like, oh, I was looking for Mr. Jameson and have him be like, Parker, get in here. Like he already knows who he is. Yeah. yeah Even yeah, though yeah. everyone else, obviously, this is a new version of Peter, but he just has some almost like low-level watcher abilities. He's just there. <laughs> and he's just like, Parker, get in here. Like, and he should be in the new Marvel movies as well. Yeah. Like yeah, when Tom Holland awesome. goes in, it's like, what, another one of you? Come on, sit down. Like <laughs> Mr. Jameson, your wife's online too. She lost this, lost the checkbook. Thanks for the good news. <laughs> he's he, terrible. He's he is relentless. <laughs> he is relentless. He's is like you spend any more on this thing, you can pick the daisies off my grave. Get plastic. <laughs> like, like he's so penny pinching the whole time. And like yeah. there's a great and he's even good at the nonverbal stuff. At one point when they have the woman run up to his son and say, like, hey, Mary Jane's not getting married to you, like he his head just pops in from out of frame to see what the heck's going on. Yeah. And he just pops up like a gopher, and it made me laugh so hard because I didn't remember that. I remember all his lines, but him actually just being like, doing, like, what's yeah, going so, on? So to me, you know, the Tobey Maguire casting is a problem. But you know what? Uh, having read the comics, I thought there was really no way to make J. Jonah an interesting character in a live-action movie because he was so clearly a cartoon in the cartoon. Right? Yeah. I mean, he was so two-dimensional in the comics, 
And to have Simmons just bring him to life in a way that was believable on the screen was amazing. <laughs> He's, he is a true work of art. And they should have kept that. I mean, in the animated show, they made an animated show called Ultimate Spider-Man. Yeah. He is J. Jonah Jameson in that. Nice. They make him like a Bill O'Reilly figure, though. He doesn't have an editorial. Oh. He has like an hourly news program. Oh, that's too Where bad. he says, you know, Spider-Man's a menace. Yeah. But, but it is J.K., um, which is great. That's cool. Um, well, it really kind of puts him on the map. I mean, he he's now won an Oscar, and he's got all those insurance commercials for farmers, and he's done some really great dramatic work. But you know what? This is really the first time he shows up on the map. Yeah, God, in pop culture. There's there's also like, again, we're talking about what what does work, and I do want to focus on that at least a little bit. Um, but again, going back to things that are weird, sometimes there's just like a joke or two that I feel like even in two thousand two or two thousand four, I would not have gotten like at some point like when they're taking photos at the gallery at one point and there's like this big gala ball for his son j john james uh j john jameson's son yep. who's going out with mary jane and proposes to her blah 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 there seems to be some kind of joke about the mayor and his wife and i'm just like there's <laughs> yeah. no there's nothing there there's nothing there well even j jonah's son right in the comics oh my god the, hold he's on. man wolf in the comics he's man wolf in the comics and he has a really interesting arc actually um, but in this movie, the guy has, what, three, four lines and is just as two-dimensional, empty as you can possibly He's 2004's be. version of Josh Duhamel. He's terrible. <laughs> so, you know, Sam Raimi really got a lot of applause for making Spider-Man, finally, and doing a great job. And it did very well commercially. People hated the third one. But, you know, it was a really big splash. And this, again, was all before Marvel Studios got rolling. But you know what? At this point... I don't think anybody needs to ever watch these again. No, no. I'd like to revisit the first one maybe at some point, see if that mm, at least holds maybe. up. But if there's only select parts of this that you need to know. You know, you only need to know uh, J.K. Simmons is J. John Jameson. And you can watch that mashup on, on YouTube. YouTube. You can watch a five-minute clip of all of his scenes from the first three <laughs> movies on YouTube. <laughs> and he's what's great is that he's still... I mean, he's the best part of the third one because by the third yeah. one, it's just this flaming... Dumpster, dumpster truck on fire, yeah. you know. Now, let me defend, actually, this kind of Dawson's Creek approach, all right? I've just spent 20 minutes bashing it. But these, as I'm watching Spider-Man 2 last night, I'm thinking, you know, this template is out there and is successful. Fans enjoy this in a different format, right? Basically, this is what you get in Smallville. And which Arrow, were, yeah. And Arrow, although he's not a teenager, but you get it in the Flash TV show. Yeah, yeah. Which is very successful. Flash, they have turned, DC has turned Flash into Peter Parker. Yeah. Which he never was really in the comics except for a very brief time. You know, he was always kind of a middle-aged, uh, very straight Arrow kind of guy. He's a police detective. He's a police detective, but but in the TV show, he is he's absolutely a rip-off of Peter Parker Parker, and the show is successful because when you have an hour at a time in a TV show format, you can play around more with some of that Dawson's Creek stuff, right? It doesn't bog down the way that it, it, it hurts a movie. I mean, Smallville lived on that stuff. I mean, Smallville... It was Dawson's Creek. It was Dawson's Creek with Lex Luthor, which is the best kind of Dawson's Creek. Right. And I enjoy those forms of the storytelling, but for some reason, trying to cram that into a two-hour superhero movie when i am now used to the marvel studios pace yeah it, it just doesn't work and and as i'm watching spider-man 2 which i had remembered fondly that's the main thing 
that I'm thinking is I can tell that this is not a Marvel Studios movie, yeah, right? For, for it, better and for worse. For better and for worse. It, it has a very traditional kind of Hollywood action feel, right? Spider-Man 2, you can watch as, well, it's, it's sort of in the uh, mode and in the pacing and in the style of something like a Die Hard or... Uh, you know, just one of the Fast and Furious, or, or Fast and Furious you know, movie in terms or, of ratio of what's action and what's us standing around talking about what's important in life, family and exactly, relationships. Exactly. So seeing this stuff pre Marvel Studios makes me appreciate what Marvel Studios has done since. And it is actually God. Now that I think about it more and more, it is so. Um, there's such a harsh divide between this generation of superhero films. And then what came before? Like, I remember you coming out of the very first Iron Man, again, which is one year after Spider-Man 3. Yep. And you were really, I don't want to say upset, but you were ticked that they had thrown away Tony Stark's, like, secret identity at the end of the first film. Like, you're not going to get a secret identity. At the end of the first film, he just goes, I am Iron Man. They, Mm. in 2008, at, like, so the Spider-Man films close... And Marvel Studios immediately says, and has basically maintained for 10 years, no, secret identities are, are, are dumb. These people are celebrities. These people are famous. Mm-hmm. Captain America doesn't have a secret identity. Tony Stark doesn't have a secret identity. Like, the only people who have secret identities are, they're just now starting to reintroduce the idea of a secret identity with Peter Parker. Yeah. And even then, he's not really good at it. I mean, you just, <laughs> if you watch, if you get a chance to watch Homecoming, you'll see that he's really bad at it. You know, like Doctor Strange doesn't have a secret identity. Thor obviously has no secret identity. Um, Black Panther has no secret identity. They have basically said all this melodrama stuff, the stuff that built Marvel comics, Mm -hmm. that's not how we're going to build Marvel studios. And I think that's fascinating that they, you can look, you can point directly to the previous era of superhero films, including The Dark Knight and Batman Begins, and this 10 year stretch, like between. 2000 to almost 2008 yeah where the superhero films that are coming out are really very intensely about the personal life and the secret identity and the and the duality of, mm-hmm. the duality mm-hmm. of, of mm-hmm. who these people are even mm-hmm. Lee's hulk yeah is really about you know two voices in one body and blah blah blah, blah and and because that's what the comics are about yeah, so yeah. what you're doing what you're saying is that Marvel Studios understood that they were making stories in a different genre. And I will always love that. Yeah, yeah. If you listen to the podcasts, uh, you will see that I like to talk about how stories change based on how they appear, right? What the genre is. And so melodrama fits in a TV show, right? You've got the time to explore nuance and, and there's, there's just more time to get into that stuff. It feels more natural. Same thing with comics. When you're cranking out a story every single month, year after year after year after year, you have room for the melodrama and the nuance and and more of the personal stuff uh, in between the action. But Marvel Studios, boy, they understood. If you're making a two-hour movie, people are coming to see the action. They they really pumped up the humor uh, to the point where the most recent Thor, you know, some of the fans of the comics are starting to... (laughs) get overwhelmed they're sort of like well is this movie too funny maybe this movie is actually too funny well i love thor ragnarok but that's a different podcast that's a different um, podcast but that's the one i'm talking about any movie that references frog thor is an automatic <laughs> 10 out of 10 for samuel but that is a whole different, that's a podcast. different podcast so so spider-man 2 is not in the canon in case you couldn't no. already tell yeah. it's got some terrific action scenes it's got some moments of beautiful acting but ultimately it 
it doesn't quite coalesce and it's dragged down by this obsessive need for us to see Peter Parker whining and whinging and monologuing to himself and oh and we didn't losing. even we didn't even talk about his powers being based on his belief in himself. Oh god, I hate that. Which which is just so like vitally wrong to the Spider-Man character. The whole point of having the spider powers is that they're going to be there whether you use them responsibly or not. It's so, not a reward so, for being responsible. No. The point is he's making the choice to be responsible. That's what makes it powerful. They are a burden to him. Yes. His powers are there no matter what, and if he doesn't use them, then that's wrong. Yes. Is what the comics say, and you're right. So, <laughs> man, we're this way late in the podcast to get into this, but I hated the organic uh, web. You don't like his, his gooiness being stored no. in his wrists? No, because that diminishes him as a scientist in the comics. The web shooters are something he invents. Yeah, mechanical. So, I always hated that it was organic. And then in Spider-Man 2, they emphasize that point by saying that he loses his powers when he loses belief in himself. Baloney! Like, yeah, where's the organic webbing in his wrists gonna go? Like, (laughs) at one point he goes to the doctor and I just feel like the doctor should be like, Hey, uh, Peter, you've got these really big, like, discolored, I think they're bruises on your arms where... Feels like there's some kind of porous fluid being stored. Oh, like, this is so stupid. Oh, his doctor wears a Grateful Dead t-shirt as well because the height of professionalism is wearing a doctor's smock. I don't know what Sam was doing. I think he just was trying to cram in all these little fun things that he wanted to cram in. That's why I, Bruce Campbell's There's in. a lot of shots of people who I think uh, Sam Raimi was like, yeah, I'll get you a job in Hollywood. <laughs> like, there's yeah, there's a lot you. of close-up shots of cute girls who aren't important to the plot. Um, yes, Sam Raimi. Yes. Sam Raimi's like, I'll make you a big star, darling. Like, Ugh. come on, Sam, tighten it up. So these Spider-Man movies with Toby are clearly kind of an old Hollywood idea. They were the most successful, right? I mean, this is the era of the first Hulk movie, which a lot of people didn't like. It's first Fantastic Four movie, and the second one, which I kind of liked, but people really didn't. Uh, it's the Daredevil have... movie, which oh, we like. Yeah. So now that's you know. a good balance of melodrama and ass kicking because well, most of Matt Murdock's melodrama comes from ass kicking. Yeah, so we'll we'll do that podcast, but you know, this, it is amazing the more we see of the Marvel Studios era compared to everything in my life before that, right? Superhero movies basically go from the first Superman movie which is 1978 through the first Iron Man movie which is 2008. Okay, that's decades of, you know, kind of hits and misses, but but the, it's a, all of a certain style, yeah. right? They're, they're trying to do a certain thing, and then Marvel Studios comes and just completely upends it. It's yeah. amazing. So, Unfortunately, it's out of the canon, folks, but I'm glad you've joined us for this little uh, trip down memory lane. This has been the Re-View Podcast. podcast.